There's a quote that's attributed to President Harry Truman that says, it's amazing what we could accomplish if we don't care who gets the credit. The idea behind that being that oftentimes what gets in the way of a group accomplishing great things, what gets in the way of progress is our own pride, our own greed, our own tendency to want to build our own kingdoms and make sure that we get noticed, make sure that uh, people understand uh, the important role that we play and uh, make sure that the focus is on us, that, that it's truly amazing and there's no limit to what we can do as a group uh, if we don't care who gets the credit, right? If we, if we just focus on a common goal, we're unified, we work hard together, uh, then truly amazing things can happen. And, and that, that pride, that greed is oftentimes what gets in the way. And for Christians, this is especially true, that we're supposed to be uh, unified in Jesus, making sure that Jesus gets the credit, Jesus gets the glory, focused on a common goal uh, of loving God well and loving one another well. Um, but, but those same same kind of things can, can become a problem when we're instead wanting to make sure people notice us uh, when our, our own greed or pride can get in the way as well. Uh, we've been going through a series on Thursday nights the last few weeks studying the New Testament book of Acts. It's a series that we're calling Church uh, because it's a study of the early church and what we can learn about God, what we can uh, learn about community from studying these lives of the early believers. Last week, Jackie and I talked about how to defend your faith when it's challenged. And we went through some real practical things we can do when our own faith is challenged, how we can defend our faith, how we can know what we believe and why better and the power of our own personal testimony. And then in life groups this week, we talked about the power of prayer. Uh, we talked about how those early believers would turn to God in prayer under, under persecution, right? When they were, when they were responding to uh, the, the persecution of having their faith tried, of having their, their leaders arrested, they turned to God in the face of persecution. And also that they prayed not for deliverance from that trouble, but they prayed that in the midst of that, they would be more bold in sharing the gospel. 2,000 years later, we still face persecution and we still face trials and troubles of various kinds. Do we also pray that God would, rather than deliver us from those troubles, make us more bold in sharing him uh, in the midst of those circumstances? Would, would God enable us to make sure that he's getting glory in the midst of those circumstances? Uh, how do we glorify God in the, in the middle of a global pandemic, right? How do we glorify God in 2020 with all that's going on in our culture and in our world? Uh, how do we glorify Jesus and point people to Jesus? Um, in the middle of this pandemic that's taking a financial toll, a mental toll, an emotional toll uh, on the people around us. This leads us into what we're going to be talking about tonight. As we continue our study of the book of Acts, we're going to get a little more of a picture of how the early church functioned, of how, of how they worked together, how they accomplished what they accomplished. We saw in Acts chapter 2 that the believers would meet often in each other's homes. They would meet in the temple courts. They would meet together for worship. They would meet together for prayer and for fellowship and discipleship. Uh, and then in chapter four, where we're going to be studying tonight, we begin to see how this body of believers cared for one another, how they would meet each other's needs when those needs would arise. So it's going to be Acts chapter four. We're going to start tonight in verse 32. Acts four, starting in verse 32. I mean, what, what did this early church look like? How did they care for one another? What could they accomplish together unified with one goal and one purpose. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. 
For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So the first thing that Luke tells us about this community of believers is they were one in heart and mind. What does that look like? What does it mean to be one in heart, one in mind? It's telling us they had a common goal, right? Common goals, a common perspective, a common passion, right? They had something in common that they could focus on, a common goal uh, to see Jesus glorified and to make disciples, a common passion in the Lord and wanted to know the Lord better. Um, and this, this common passion, these common goals unified them uh, to the point where, where the Bible says that they were one. They operated as one. And it's important here to stress that, that oneness, that unity is not the same as uniformity, right? They were, they were one, they were unified, but they weren't all exactly the same, right? They, they still had their own personalities, their own idiosyncrasies, what made them different as individuals, uh, but they didn't let that divide them. They were absolutely, divide, uh, absolutely united to the point uh, that the Bible could say they were one, one in heart, one in mind. Uh, and in the same way in our community today, man, there's things that make us different. I'm different from you. Uh, you're different from the next person. Uh, and, and coming to Christ and being part of the body of Christ isn't eliminating what makes us different, um, but it's choosing to be unified, right? To, to appreciate those differences, but say, hey, we're going we're gonna to be unified. We're going to be one around common goals, common passions, right? Co- a common perspective and a common focus on Jesus. So unity, not uniformity. And then the Bible also tells us they practiced radical generosity, radical hospitality. Verse 32 says, No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but shared everything they had. Can you imagine that? To just look at uh, your apartment, your house, look at your car, look at all your possessions and say, Hey, this is not mine. Right? I'm, I'm, lending, you know, I'm borrowing this for a season. I'm a steward of it for a season. I'm thankful God gave it to me to enjoy, but it's not mine. Right? Everything I have and everything I am belongs to the Lord. So God, if you want to use my stuff to bless someone else, hey, go for it. It's not mine anyway. God, I'm just borrowing it for you. Um, that they didn't consider their possessions their own. I mean, so in, in, in you know, the 21st century, right, in, in the Western world, that's a radical thought. Right, that, that, that we are, are so materialistic, so possessions focused to have the idea that, man, all the stuff I have, my house, my car, you know, my, my, my clothes, my food, everything that I have is not really mine. Right? It belongs to the Lord. And so if another brother or sister uh, has need of it, that the, the willingness, uh, the willingness to be able to give it up for them. Verse 34 says there were no needy persons among them because this was their approach. This was their heart about possessions. That it's just stuff, right? And if someone else can be blessed by it, I'm willing to give it. The Bible says there was no needy persons among them. Can you imagine that? Not a single person among them was in need. And not because they were all rich, right? But because if there was a need, those who were able to meet that need would meet it. Uh, even if it meant sacrificially giving of their own possessions, even if it meant selling a field, selling a home, selling their own possessions to make sure every single need is met. They sold their houses, they sold land, and then they would give the proceeds to the apostles to distribute to anyone that had need, which is amazing. Uh, and, and the Bible can tell us there was no needy people in that community of believers that at this point is over 5,000 strong, uh, that they, they so uh, radically were generous 
uh, with what they had. They were so loving for their neighbors to, to meet the tangible physical needs of their neighbors, not just to say, I love you, uh, but to look at the lives of their neighbors and say, hey, I see you have a need. I recognize this need and I want to meet it. Even if it costs me something, I'm willing to do whatever it takes because you're my brother, you're my sister in the Lord, and I love you. Uh, they, they were unified. They were one in heart and mind, and there was no needy among them. Luke then gives us two examples of how this process functioned. One's a good example for us to follow, and the other is a really bad example for us to learn from. Well, let's look at the first one. This is verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And that's a great nickname, right? To be called the son of encouragement. It says Barnabas sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Right? So this is the good example. This is how the process would often work. That, that if, if someone looked and said, hey, there's a need in the church, there's a need in the body, I've got extra property, I've got extra stuff that I can sell, they would sell whatever that was, and then they'd bring the proceeds to the apostles and say, hey, uh, as, as the leadership of the church, the leadership of the body, I mean, here, here's this money, make sure whoever has a need gets it, right? So that's how the process was supposed to function. Barnabas had more than he needed, so he sold the extra to give generously to others. Maybe you don't have a field you can sell, right? Maybe you don't have an extra house. We don't have a house, right? You don't have an extra house, certainly, uh, that you can sell. But there are still simple, practical things uh, that you can do as well to help people around you. And in the family groups tonight, we're going to talk a little more about, man, what are some of those practical things we can do to meet the needs in our community, to meet the needs of, of the people around us? Uh, again, we may not have a house we can sell, a field we can sell, but there's still practical things that you can do, right? There's, there's loneliness in your community, right? That you can be a friend. You can be there in the midst of that loneliness. Uh, there may be a friend that's got food insecurity that, hey, uh, I don't have a lot, but, but, but I do have man, some extra, extra bread. We can make some extra sandwiches. Uh, I can make sure that you're fed tonight, right? That you've got something to eat. We're going to talk more about that in the family groups. So I just want you to keep that in mind. Don't, don't look at a passage like this and think, oh, this is only talking about the wealthy. No, all believers can participate in this radical generosity uh, that loves our brothers and sisters in Christ and puts other people's needs ahead of our own. The second example is a negative one. It's a warning. It's don't be like these people. Uh, so continuing on in Acts chapter 5, verse 1, we see this second example. It's about a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who also sold property, who also brought some of the proceeds to the apostles. Um, but then there's a really uh, a bad example that they set that we want to be warned from and make sure that we're not guilty of. So starting in verse 1, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So, so far, no problem, right? No problem at all. He sold some property. He brought some of the money to the apostles. There's no command saying that these believers had to give 100% of the proceeds to, 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 of the sale to help others. Uh, we see them giving generously of their own choice, generously of their own free will. Uh, the problem is, as we see later, that for some reason, Ananias lied. For some reason, Ananias lied and said, hey, this is the full amount when it wasn't. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before you sold it? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. 
and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So Ananias and Sapphira, they also sold property. They also gave to the church, presumably to help those that were in need, but with an important difference. They lied about how much money they got from that sale. They lied about how much money that they were donating um, to the church. And this may not seem like a big deal. Like, okay, like that's silly that they lie, but that may not seem like a big deal uh, to us. But as we can see, there's stiff consequences here for their dishonesty. Why do we think that is? Right? Why do we think there's such a strict punishment here for them, them lying? Well, Peter says lying to the Holy Spirit, lying to the church body. Uh, I think the primary reason here is the lying. It is the dishonesty. So for the early church, honesty and integrity were super important. The early church, these first believers were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They were proclaiming the gospel, the good news of what God had done for people in Jesus as eyewitnesses. Uh, and, and there was no room for dishonesty in that. If they were known as a people who lied, who twist the truth, uh, then that could become uh, an obstacle for the gospel going forward that endangers the spread of the good news of Jesus. Uh, if they know, hey, Christians lie sometimes, right? That it was absolutely important that the Christians were known for their honesty, known for their integrity, known to be people that always tell the truth. Uh, so when this this lie, no matter how small it seems to us, like in our modern eyes, this lie enters the church that God takes it deadly seriously because Christians can't be liars, right? We've got to be people that tell the truth so that when we tell our friends about Jesus, they know, hey, Matt always tells the truth. I can always count on that. Um, they didn't have to sell anything at all. They didn't have to give anything at all. Or they could have told the truth and said, hey, we did sell a field and here's part of the money. And I think that would have been fine. But Ananias and Sapphira pridefully wanted to be seen as others as being more generous than they were. And that pride coupled with the greed in their hearts led them to be dishonest about it. Right? They could have just said, hey, we sold a field and here's some of the money we want to help out. But they were prideful. They wanted people to see them as more, wanted people to see them as more generous. And that led them to lie. So that's the bad example. Don't be like them. We don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. So we want to be like Barnabas, right? Giving generously, being honest, being an encourager to others. Uh, so, so don't be like this bad example. Give generously and don't worry about getting credit for it. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't do it to be seen by others, but do it because you love God and love other people and want to be a help to them. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And Jesus says when you give, uh, if at all possible, do it anonymously. Don't do it to get credit. Don't do it to be seen uh, by others. And, and when you give that way, it honors God. It glorifies God, and God will reward you for it. Also, our words matter, right? Even in 2020, uh, maybe especially in 2020, 
In a time of so much confusion and deception, our words matter. Christians have to be people that tell the truth. When a Christian says something, it needs to be true. We need to have integrity. We need to be honest. Our words matter. And truth needs to be of utmost priority to a believer. Ephesians 4.25 says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. As Christians, we've got to tell the truth, right? We've got to be honest. We've got to be real. Uh, and I think it's important for us to take this to heart. But there's stiff consequences uh, here for Ananias and Sapphira, so we can learn from that, that God takes honesty very seriously, especially for a believer, especially for someone who's called uh, to proclaim the gospel, to tell their neighbors about Jesus. We need to be people that can be counted on to always tell the truth. Uh, and then also, it's amazing to see what a community can look like where everyone is radically generous to one another, or, or they don't consider their possessions. This is mine. This is my stuff. You know, I earned it. I paid for it. Then, no, this is my stuff. But if someone else can be blessed by it, if someone else can be helped by it, it's just stuff and be willing to give to others if there's a need. How can we be a community that gives generously like that, even sacrificially gives to meet the needs of the people around us? And something I'd love for us to talk about in our family groups tonight to discuss how we can be that kind of community like the early church here uh, that has everything in common, that shares, that meets the needs of the people around us, and that, that because we have that love for God and that love for one another, that God would make us one, absolutely unified, one in heart, purpose. That's my prayer. That's my desire for us. Um, And I'm I'm praying for you guys as you have, have some great discussions in the family group tonight. I love you guys and I hope you have a great week.